I would encourage you to open your Bible right now, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles provided in the chairs. It's on page 859 in those Bibles. And I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, to take one of those Bibles with you. It is yours, our gift to you. It is important that we each have God's Word available to us, and we want to do that for you. And so uh, the second thing that I need to do before I jump in is that Matt got the title wrong because he put it down on the bulletin too soon, and so it's his fault. Not really. He, I gave him a title, and then as I prepared on and finished up on Friday and Saturday, it, was, it, it changed. So um, anyway, the, the title is The Message and the Mission. Um, I think that's what I named it. Yeah, The Message and the Mission. Um, anyway, so it's it's different title if you're looking in your bulletin and you think that we messed up. I, I did, kind of. But anyway, so, so it's different. So we're going to read. But, but let, me just, let me just start, as you're kind of getting settled with where the passage is in the, in, the, in the Bible, let me just share with you something that happened this week and a conversation I had. It was nobody in the church, so you don't need to figure out. It's probably none, none of you know this person, um, so it's not something you need to try to figure out. Um, but, but I had a conversation with, with this lady who... As she spoke and as she shared her story and opened up about some things, it became very obvious that she longed for a Savior. She, she wanted someone who would protect her from the abuse and, 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 and the suffering that she had endured. And she wanted someone who would protect those she cared about uh, from, from experiencing those things that she had experienced. She had dealt with years and years of molestation and rape and uh, just different types of abuse and she, she wasn't enduring it today. It's, it's, it's in years past, but she, everything, in every way that she perceives the world, it, it, it is affected by what has happened to her. She carries this weight, and she carries this burden. And, and, and then on top of that, she, not, not only does she realize how desperately she has been wrong, not only does she realize how broken that, that, that is and how horrible that is, but she also sees and carries guilt and, and, and weight and responsibility for the fact that as she has seen others suffer the same things that she has suffered, that she feels guilt because she couldn't protect them. And as she spoke, it became very obvious that she would get angry, she would get emotional, and, and, and she would just get really tense and, and, and angry about the fact that not only could she, she not protect those she cared about, but she couldn't protect herself. And I noticed, it. I don't think she would summarize it this way. I don't think she would say it this way. But, but it seemed to be a theme all the way as she, as she shared about different events in her life. It seemed to be a theme that she carried this weight, this responsibility that she was supposed to be a savior for people. Keeping them from harm. Keeping them from the abuse and the tragedies that this world brings upon us. That she is supposed to find a way to save herself from it. That she is supposed to find a way to overcome these things on her own. I was heartbroken as I listened to her. I, I prayed. I, I began to pray as I was listening to her. And as it became obvious that she just wants to know a Savior. And she wants to know that there's a Savior that can save those she cares about. And, and I began to pray and just ask the Lord for, for opportunity, to, for, for opportunity to, to not just know that she has a Savior, but to be able to tell her that she has the Savior and, and know the way to say it and know what must be said. 
wanted, I, I wanted to be able to just tell her that, that the thing she longed for, the Savior that she desired has come. He is here. He's among us. He has come to us. She needed to hear that so desperately. And today as we pick up in Luke, Jesus has returned from the wilderness and has begun his public ministry. His identity was established in the first three chapters. Luke proved who he was. His power to live without sin was proven in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And now he begins the work of letting the world that he's come to save know that he's come to save them. He begins to tell them that their Savior is here. You need to look no further. Your Savior has arrived. How this lady needed to hear those words. Read with me. Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 14 through 22. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit of Galilee, and the Spirit to Galilee. This is something Luke points out over and over, that Jesus is being led, Jesus is dependent upon, Jesus has been anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. So he is fully man and he is fully God, but the God, God the Spirit rests on him, empowers him, and prepares him for the work that he's got to do. So he returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the, all the surrounding country. Like his reputation is preceding him, right? I mean, it's going out before him. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So, so here's Jesus going around teaching and, and preaching, and people are loving it. They're eating it up. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Now, I, I, this really got nothing to do with the sermon, but it, well, it does. I, I realized as I was preaching in the first service that, that there is a practical application for us here. But, but I just want you to notice that Jesus had a custom to go to synagogue on the Sabbath day. We live in a, a world where we were like, oh, well, I don't need church to be a Christian. Like, like I can be Christian. I can listen to my podcast. I can, I can uh, sit and do church from afar. I can get on the internet and enjoy church from, from a distance. You know, you got Matt Chandler out there. You got John Piper. Who, who needs to come and listen to Seth preach, right? I mean, and, and so, so just to get up in your business just a little bit, some of us are on like a three-week rotation. Like we make a point to come to church about every third week. Jesus made it a custom to be at synagogue, to be at church for, for them before Christ. He, he made it a point to be there not, not to gain his identity before the Father, not to make himself more Christian, but because he was who he was. We should be in and among God's people so that we can hear God's speaking through his preachers and his word. And I would just encourage you not to let a podcast, a cold, lifeless podcast from a person who doesn't know you or know the circumstances of your life take the place of a pastor who loves and cares for you. And if you don't think that's me, I encourage you to go find one who you think does. This is what we do because of who we are. We need this regularly. And, and, and the truth be told... You need this not because I'm here. You need this because in God's word, he brings the gospel that feeds us and reminds us of what Jesus has done for us.
And you'll see that break out and bear be borne out in the rest of the passage. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So he's in Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. This is like a day that, this would be like, this would be like John Piper, John Piper coming to preach at the way. Like if we told people John Piper was going to be here, here's this guest preacher. It wouldn't be we'd have to have ten services, right? I mean, the room would fill up. This is what happened. Jesus is there. They're like, "Whoa!" He just read that, and they're watching him. He sits down, and he began to say to them, "Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." The one Isaiah spoke of 700 years ago is standing in front of you today. Actually, he's sitting and speaking to you today. And all spoke well of him, verse 22, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Just imagine with me for just a second. Just imagine a world a world in which Jesus came. Jesus was announced by angels. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus faced the devil and temptation and won, and he didn't sin, but then never said anything. Just put his head down. I got a mission to do, I got something to accomplish. I hope they figure it out. I'm just going to stay out of trouble. Till the time is right, imagine a world which he never came teaching and preaching. Uh, imagine a world in which Jesus adopted the motto, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Imagine that world. Maybe you've heard that quote. Maybe you've heard that quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And maybe you've even adopted that as a maxim for your life. There's a couple of problems with that quote. First, we can't prove that St. Francis of Assisi ever said it. We don't know why it ever began being attributed to him. And I don't think anybody's really confirmed where it started. So not only is it attributed to the right person, we don't, we, we don't think that St. Francis of Assisi would even affirm what that says. He was a preacher who was known for preaching. He, would, he was an itinerant preacher that would travel around to different villages, sometimes preaching five times a day. That's not five times in one day per week. That's five times a day per day, every day of the week. That's like 35 times. I, I mean, I think, yeah, I did the math right. 35 times a week, that's a... You tell me that guy didn't appreciate preaching. He, he probably wouldn't affirm that truth. So that's one problem with it. A second problem with this quote is that it seems to elevate works over words. At first, it may seem exactly the way we're supposed to think, right? I mean, aren't our, 
Don't, don't our actions speak louder than our words? I mean, don't, don't we know what a person really means by what they do? Don't we really know who they are, not so much by what they say, but what they do? There, there is truth to that. And we want our actions to align with our words. We want our feet to take us where our mouth is, is saying we're going. We want them to be in unified. But good works, good works by themselves. I mean, being a good employee going and being the best employee at your work and, and putting your head down and just doing the right thing and, and, and thinking, well, I'm going to go and represent Jesus and I'm going to go be the best employee at my work. I'm never going to steal any pins. I'm going well, to sit in my cubicle. And I'm not going to talk to anybody else. I'm not going to surf on the Internet. I'm not looking at Facebook while I'm on the clock. I'm just going to go and be a great employee. I'm going to be a great parent. My kids are going to grow up being, being well-fed and well-taken care of. They're going to wear the right clothes and they're going to go to the right schools. Being a good spouse, being a good employee, being a good parent, they, they do nothing to preach the gospel if we are not opening our mouth to say the words that need to be said. Good works without gospel proclamation, gospel preaching, do nothing but make you look good to those around you. Referencing this quote from the, that's been attributed to Francis of Assisi, Mark Galley of, of Christianity Christiani Today wrote, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Goes hand in hand with a postmodern assumption that words are finally empty of meaning. It subtly denigrates the high value that the prophets Jesus and Paul put on preaching. Of course we want our actions to match our words as much as possible. But the gospel is a message, news about an event and a person upon which the history of the planet turns. This gospel message, it, 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 it is a message. And this message is central to the mission that Jesus came to accomplish. I appreciate Ed Stetzer's rephrasing of this infamous quote. Preach the gospel. And since it's necessary, use words. A world, if you will, that world we imagine where Jesus comes and does good works but never says a word. Where the preaching of the gospel does not happen is a world in which no one is saved you would have no reason to be here today if someone had not preached the gospel that you might hear it and believe. The gospel is not simply a work we do, but a message we preach. And that is exactly why when Jesus' public ministry began, when he went public, when he stepped out of the behind-the-scenes work of of being a child and growing to adulthood and submitting and learning under his parents and then facing off with Satan and beating temptation and sin and stepped out onto the platform of his public work. That is why when he came, he came teaching and preaching. Luke points that out clearly here that we might see it. He recounts these opening days of Jesus' ministry after baptism, after facing off against Satan. Now his work begins, but the focus is not 
his miracles. Is it important that Jesus changed water to wine? Is it important that Jesus made the blind see and the deaf hear? Is it important that he made a hung, he, he fed hungry people? Are those things important? Absolutely they're important. They are absolutely important, but they only build a platform from which he preaches. The focus of his ministry is teaching and preaching five times. Five times in this short little passage, Luke points to the fact that Jesus came to teach and preach the gospel. Look at the verses with me, if you will. When you got your Bibles open still, I hope to Luke chapter 4, in verse, 13, or verse 15, he taught in their synagogues. What did he do in their synagogues? He taught. He taught them. He came and he expressed the gospel and explained the gospel. He was teaching them. He was giving them things to believe in, things to hang on to, things and and truth that was blowing their mind. I mean, these people, they they were raised in this religion. They understood the religion. They understood the requirements of the law. And he came and he came to them and he begins to teach them and he begins to show them how the law isn't enough. In fact, in these two verses, 14 and 15, many commentators point out the fact that that is Luke giving a a synopsis of a whole year, of the whole first year of Jesus' ministry. Two verses. And what does he focus on in that first year? What does Luke give us as a synopsis of? His teaching. Him going and making sure that people heard the message, that the mission that he came to do was expressed by the words that he said. Whole year. I mean, this would have been the year that he he was walking in Samaria on the way back, and he meets the woman at the well. What did he do with her? He taught her, and as a result of his teaching, we see her saved. And not only do we see her saved, this is John chapter four. Not only do we see her saved, we see her whole village saved. Because once he's done teaching her, what does she do? She goes back and tells everyone, the Savior has come. And Jesus stays and teaches more. And the village, many in the village are saved. Verse 15, he's teaching in their synagogues. And Luke goes on, you know, so, so Jesus is going around, he's teaching, and, and, he's, and he is working miracles. He's certainly working miracles. I don't want to deny that, but, but Luke focuses in these two verses. He focuses on, on the teaching. Jesus comes to Nazareth. He walks into his hometown. And like I said, this would be like, this would be like uh, the, the biggest celebrity preacher you could think of coming into town, and everybody's showing up at synagogue that day. You can only imagine it was crowded like this. Jesus has this reputation going before him, and they're all like, he's in town. He's going to be at synagogue this week. I bet he's teaching. And they show up, and he begins to read the word. And what does he read? A prophecy about one sent, about one anointed, to do what? Proclaim good news. Three times we have this, three times we have this in this this reference from Isaiah chapter 61. Three times he tells us, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news. Proclaim good news. He doesn't say, I'm coming to the poor to fix their situation. 
He doesn't say, I've set up a trust fund that will fund them and help them come up out of poverty. He says, I've come to proclaim good news. I've come to tell them the gospel. I've come to evangelize them. That's the word in the Greek. Is evangel- it's, it's, it's evangelization. So Jesus has come. Jesus has come to teach them about what he's here to do. He's come, it says in verse 18, a second time, that he was sent to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering sight to the blind. What's he doing for them? He's not not simply saying, I've come to make them see or I've come to give them freedom. I came to proclaim to them. I came to preach to them. And third, he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came to proclaim that we can't can't look past the nuance of this. Is Jesus doing good works alongside his preaching? Absolutely he is. When John the Baptist is arrested and doubting who Jesus is, Jesus sends his disciples and and his disciples come to Jesus and they're like, are you the one? And Jesus says, what do you you think? And he says, go go tell John you see the blind, see and the deaf hear. He refers to what he's doing. He refers to his power. But don't miss the fact that he didn't come here simply, simply to do good works. He was not simply anointed to set up homeless shelters and give the poor a chance in the world. He wasn't sent here simply to let people in prison go free and slaves go free. He came to proclaim the gospel. He proclaimed, he came to proclaim the message that would let people know his mission. Let me draw this out just a little further, just to, I think, make this a little clearer from the whole context that we've been studying. Jesus faced temptation. In the passage before this, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Jesus is in the desert, worst of circumstances, facing off with the devil. Devil's tempting him, and and Jesus wins. He succeeds. He doesn't sin in any way. In fact, it proves that he is the Savior, that he is our sinless Savior. He faced that temptation. And as we studied that, I pointed out to you last week that this was the primary reason he came, was to defeat sin and death. See, Jesus didn't come here. He didn't have to come here to heal the sick and raise the dead. You realize that, right? I mean, he didn't have to put a foot on the earth to heal the sick and raise the dead. He was doing that before he ever set a foot on the earth, and he was, he was doing that. God was making that happen after he left. There's teaching in the Old Testament. Elijah and Elisha were, were healing the sick people and, and raising dead people. I mean, that, it happened. He didn't have to come to do that. He didn't have to come to feed the poor. Jesus didn't have to show up simply to feed poor people. He fed a whole nation for 40 years in a desert where they should have starved to death and dehydrated. He fed them every day. He gave them what they needed. And he did that without ever putting a foot on the earth. He didn't have to come to release people from prison and restore them to freedom. He had been doing that. Joseph in the Old Testament is accused of rape. And he, he's arrested by, 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 the, by um, Potiphar and his wife. Or Potiphar has him go to jail. But anyway, so, so Joseph, I can't think of what he does in Egypt all of a sudden. But Joseph is in jail and he's like, I'm stuck here. He's stuck there a long time. And God sovereignly works the circumstances so that Joseph interprets dreams. And Joseph ends up in front of the Pharaoh interpreting his dream. And suddenly Joseph is released from prison and made second to only Pharaoh in Egypt. 
God didn't need to come here to release people from prison. And after he left, this Paul and Silas sitting in a prison cell, sitting there, you know, just, just what do you do in prison when you've been arrested for preaching the gospel? You, you sing a song. You sing a hymn. So I don't know what they're singing. I, I probably would sing Amazing Grace or something like that. And they're singing a hymn, and lo and behold, this earthquake begins to rumble and shake the whole prison, and the doors open. The earthquake is such that, that it didn't just open the doors. That it tells us in Acts that it didn't just open the doors. It caused their shackles to fall off. Jesus had already ascended. He didn't need to be here to make that happen. He didn't have to come to overcome oppressors. He delivered Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He took them out. He led them out. And when he did, what did he do with Egypt? He drowned their army in the Red Sea after the Israelites had crossed that same sea on dry ground. God didn't have to come here to do these things. He could have done that from heaven. What Jesus came here to do, the reason God put on flesh to dwell among us, is that he had to come live a perfect life so that he could die a sacrificial death and then raise victoriously, giving us the hope of life. He didn't come here simply to prove that he could do this. He came here to offer us life eternal through the death and resurrection of his son, his perfect and sinless sacrifice. That's what he came to do. That's the primary reason he showed up. And so when he came, he didn't just come simply to do that work and put his head down. Imagine the world if he had. We would never know that he was the one. We would never know to believe in him, to trust in his works. If while he was on his mission, he did not preach his message. It is vital absolutely vital for us as believers to get this, to understand this, to grasp hold of this. If Jesus hadn't preached the good news to the poor, all we would have is to assume that their hope was us trying to undo their poverty. If Jesus hadn't proclaimed freedom and healing, then all we'd have to offer is our doctors and our hope of of removing oppression. We have a doctor in our church, so I'm not trying to be insulting. But they call it a medical practice for a reason. Because they don't often know how to make you well. And the truth is, you hear it every day. You can turn on the news and listen to it. We still live in a world full of oppression. And no matter how well we think we're doing it, building a system that's relieving oppression... We will never fix a broken system so long as broken people fill it. And broken people can only be fixed by gospel proclamation. Listen, I I want you to hear my heart because it is not that I am against the the works of a mercy ministry. A couple of weeks ago, uh, in a night of vision, then again on a Sunday morning, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I pointed out to you, I have hopes and dreams, and I am praying towards being a church. I am asking God to provide opportunity for us to be a church that doesn't just preach a gospel, but enacts it in our city, that we would be a church that has after-school programs for kids so they have a safe place to go, to be a church that offers medical uh, uh 
clinics that, that people could come and be taken care of, that we would be a church that would, uh, would, would take care of the homeless, that we would feed them with food banks, and that we would develop systems and processes and, and even start businesses that would employ them, that we would be a church that would see people put back on a path of, of, of seeing them helped and served and seeing them experience the love of God. I, I long for that. I pray for that. Till that day we will partner with people who do these things. It's why, we, why I serve on the board of Go61, a human trafficking organization. It's why we have them come and meet here every time they meet and every time our building is open. We long for them to be here. It's why I tell you and I would encourage you to go be a part of that work. I long for these things, but brothers and sisters, if that's the end of it, if all we're doing is going out and doing good work, all we are doing is striving to fix the symptoms. It's like giving them Tylenol and expecting the pain to go away, not to come back again. That is hopelessness. A headache will always return at some point. Do you know why oppression, captivity, sickness, and poverty exist? Do you know why Jesus was appointed and anointed and sent to proclaim these things? Do you know why they exist? Because we live in a fallen world. Because we are surrounded and we ourselves are sinners. We don't just suffer because we sin. We suffer because all people have sinned. And rebelled against God. And God isn't doing these things. He's not allowing these things to occur simply because He wants to pay us back. But He is allowing us to see our need for a Savior. We are needy and helpless without Him. You live in a broken world that experiences the consequences of its brokenness because God longs for you to see how desperately you need salvation. How desperately you need to depend on Him. How desperately you need His power and provision. And He has sent His Son, not simply to provide it, but to tell you it's available. That's why He came and that's why He preached. So that we would know. Because God, in His great mercy, sent His Son to redeem us from the oppression of sin. To heal us of the disease of sin. To free us to live for Him. That we might know the riches of His glory. Praise God that He has done that. Jesus came. Proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. A time. A time in which all of his people's debts were canceled. All of Israel, in all of Israel, if they had sold their land or their house was mortgaged or, 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 or they had debts that they had occur, incurred at the year of the Lord's favor, in the year of Jubilee, those debts were canceled. It was the time in which the people of Israel, God's people, a time in which if they were in slavery, God's people were freed. Jesus came proclaiming that it was available. Letting people know that his message pointed to what he'd come to do. That his message was revealing his mission. Jesus came to overcome sin and death so that we could live again outside of the curse of sin. See, all of this stuff is rooted in the Garden of Eden. It's rooted in the curse that was a result of our rebellion. And immediately out of the garden, Adam and Eve kicked out. The very next episode we see in Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, is a brother kills his brother. Cain kills Abel. 
pain, sickness, suffering, oppression, captivity. These things exist because of our sin. And the only answer to them is our Savior. And he came preaching that we might know it. Jesus, while he was here, while Jesus was here to accomplish his mission, he made it known by preaching his message. Oh, it's vital that we know this, and it's vital that we remember it ourselves. Third, the third way we see of five, there's five options or five opportunities that, that Luke shows us Jesus teaching, Jesus proclaiming. Three times there, one time in verse 15, and also in verse 21, it says that he began to say to them. He read the scripture, and then he did what teachers of the day did. He went and he sat down. The thought is is that they were all standing around, and he sat down. I think we ought to try that sometime. Like, you give me the chair, and you guys stand up. I think that would be okay. We'll try it next week, maybe. No, we won't do that, but. So, so he comes and he reads the scripture. He goes and sits down and he begins to teach. And, and most commentators, because of the way it's phrased, most of the commentators that I study from believe that this is just a synopsis. One sentence is the beginning and just a, just a, a, a brief piece of all that he had to say. But what he said here is absolutely vital. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Listen, we can't do good works if we aren't preaching to people about Jesus. Because Jesus says that he's the answer to this. Jesus says that he's the one anointed. He's the one given power. He's the one sent to proclaim. He's the one that fulfills this passage. And so now if we stand in this place looking back and claiming hold of Isaiah 61 and we try to do that without Jesus, then we have missed the point of what he's saying. He did this work. He makes these things possible. Without Jesus, there is no justice. Without Jesus, there is no freedom. There is no healing. There is only poverty. There's nothing else. All there are without Jesus are band-aids to place on gaping wounds. The bleeding will overcome it, will wash it away. If you're simply trying to fix the world's problem without preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are not doing them any good. In fact, you might be causing them harm. Is if you walk into your world every day and you go be the best employee you can be, you be the best parent you can be, you be the best spouse you can be, you be good to homeless people and you be good to, the, to your neighbors and you strive to love on people, but you never say the name of Jesus or let them know that you are a Christian who believes that Jesus Christ came to die in the place of sinners so that we might live forever with God in heaven. If you never say that, if you never preach that, then you are telling them that they can trust in you and that is damning. We cannot do good work without proclaiming the gospel. Why are we so quick to turn to it? When we do that, all we do for people is pave their way to more suffering because they'll think that we are good people and they will trust in us instead of the one who saved us. 
in Christ. And in Christ alone, we find that we have been made rich. In Christ and Christ alone, we find that we are made well. And in Christ and Christ alone, we find that we are free. Christian, more than the world needs your good works, they need your gospel proclamation. They need you willing to speak up and say that they need Jesus. They are longing to hear it. They are waiting to hear that one has come to save them. Good works, absolutely. Live your life righteously. Live holy. Go and do good things. Loving people selfish, selflessly. Absolutely do them. But not in the place of or instead of gospel proclamation. If you're going to have to default to one, if you're going to have to fall to one and ignore the other, don't, don't, don't let it be the proclamation of the gospel. The lady I told you about at the opening of the message, she needs to be freed from believing that she has to save herself and save others. You know why she hurts so bad? Why she's so angry? Because she knows she can't. She needs to hear that there is one that can And he has come, and he has lived perfectly. He has lived perfectly. He died sacrificially. That she might live victoriously. Because he's no longer dead in a grave, but he sits in heaven at the right hand of God with all. Authority. The woman that I prayed over not long ago that has cancer, dying of cancer, counseling her and speaking to her, needed to know that Christ would heal her of her disease and that because of Him and her faith in Him, that if she died on this planet, she would be healed in heaven. That there's a day coming that she would stand on the earth in her flesh and see her Savior with her own eyes. She knew she was dying. I hate, I hate that I felt helpless as I spoke about the gospel. Because it's truly ever only, the only hope we have. It is ever the only hope we have. The man that comes around here periodically asking for money needs to know that Jesus has provided something that money can't buy. A wealth that is not measured by the number of zeros behind that one. They need to hear these things because Jesus has provided them. Jesus has made them possible by accomplishing his mission and then preaching his message. He has let us know that it is available. So Jesus doesn't just do this and go away, right? I mean, if that was the case, I mean, we could all just read the Bible and that's enough. Christian, what the world needs more than your good works is your gospel proclamation. Jesus sent you. As he was sent. And so he says, Matthew 18, 28 through, or Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Like everybody's supposed to do what I say. I have authority and I've I've got the plan. I know what I'm talking about. You're supposed to obey this. Go. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And you notice he didn't say start homeless shelters, start, start uh, food banks, start after-school programs. You notice he didn't say go out and do a bunch of good works. What did he say? Go and baptize and teach. Baptize and teach. Teach them. Make sure that they hear the message. Should we do those things alongside that? Absolutely. But not instead of. Not in place of teaching. That they might know Jesus and they might know how to follow Jesus. Luke records in Acts chapter 1 verses 7 through 8. Just before Jesus ascends into heaven. You know that moment. Like this is the last thing he's going to say to them. And you think he's going it, to. It's, it's got to be the thing that he's going to leave with them. This is the thing they're going to remember. Right? So, so here he is. Very last words he's saying to them. And they're arguing about whether or not the kingdom is going to be fundamentally or uh, physically established. And he said to them in response, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to be a person of knowledge of God's plans and purposes that are ahead of you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. What was their job? To be witnesses, to be people who proclaimed and professed what he had done. To tell people about Jesus and how he had changed their life and how they had come to see him as resurrected Lord and Savior. The one with power, the one who was able to save, the one who had changed everything. Where were they supposed to proclaim this? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth. Everywhere. Everywhere. What were they to do? They were to go around telling people what he had done. They were going teaching and, and preaching just as he had been sent. And Paul, one late to the party, comes writing Romans chapter 10, verse 11 through 15. I say he's late to the party because he wasn't there in the middle of all that beginning stuff. But he shows up. Jesus shows himself on the road to Damascus. Paul is radically changed. And he writes in Romans 10, 11 through 15, for the, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same is Lord. Uh, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a beautiful, powerful promise! You can hope in your salvation. You can trust in your salvation if you have called on the name of the Lord, not because you called on Him, but because God, He's the one that underwrites that power. He's the one that underwrites that call. He's the one that makes it effectual. He's the one that gives it power. He's the one that makes it make a difference. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or male or female. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter where you stand socially. What side of Springfield you live on? If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it awesome that you got to hear that? How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
Jesus' feet were pretty beautiful. Because of what he's done, ours can be too. And people ask about, oh, what about people in, in Africa where nobody's preaching the gospel? If you're worried about them, go preach to them. If you have a burden for them, it's because God gave you a burden for them. It's why we work in two villages in Senegal. It's why we've seen a well, church birth because we've been there not doing good works, but preaching the gospel. It's why there's two believers in the farthest village, the hardest one to get to, the hardest one to do the work in. It's why there's two believers, not because we went with all these promises of making their life better. It's because we went preaching the gospel and they heard of a Savior who died in their place so that they might know salvation. And they believed in Him. Without gospel proclamation, our works are simply feeble attempts that only make us look good and feel a little better but they make no lasting difference in anyone's life. But now, having heard it ourselves, Jesus came to proclaim the good news to the poor. We are spiritually poor apart from him. Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. We are enslaved in sin apart from him. Recovering of sight to the blind. We are spiritually blind because of apart from him. <laughs> to to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We are under the rule of the prince of the power of the air apart from him. And he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to cancel your debt and to set you free. Having heard it, let me encourage you, go believing it. See, here's the problem. If, if you believe in me or you believe in the good works you have to offer or you believe in the good works of someone else, you're believing in the wrong person. Jesus came to do this and only he is capable. Believe in him. And go believing it and go proclaiming it. Because there's people that live here in this city who are bound up and oppressed by religion. There are people who live here and are oppressed and facing captivity and oppression by those who are abusing them. Taking advantage of them. And using them for selfish gain. You go believing and proclaiming. Preach the gospel. And since it is necessary... Use words. Let's pray. Father, we, we need you. We are needy, broken, and feeble. hurting, suffering, enduring hardship, physically not well. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming and making a way. Making a way that we might step back into Eden. 
We might step back into paradise and enjoy life with you again. Jesus, thank you for making it known that we wouldn't miss you, that we could believe in you because we've heard. Father, I ask in this moment that you would send your spirit just to rest on your people. Remind them, remind them of the hope, remind them of the wealth, remind them of the power. Remind them of all that Jesus has come to do and what we have to look forward to. That even as we, as we endure now in the midst of the consequences of sin, that relief is coming, has come, and is coming. And we can trust Him. We can hope in Him and the power that you've exercised on His behalf to raise Him up and seat Him at your right hand. That's the very power that we can trust in and experience today. Would you remind us? Would you send us? Encourage us. Embolden us. Help us see how we might face our fears. Fears of rejection. Fears of not not knowing enough. Fears of not being good enough. That we might be a people used of you to proclaim your message that points to your mission to save us. It's all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.